wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. And the three-week post-Super Bowl lull is coming to an end. And the NFL jumps back to center stage of the sports world next week with the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. While the so-called underwear Olympics may be entertaining, they are mostly a tool to help NFL talent evaluators identify what they might have missed from studying a player on tape. And today, we have a very, very special guest here to share what he has learned so far from watching the film of some of the 2020 NFL draft prospects we should all have our eyes on next week. Fran Duffy is the ultimate all-22 football film junkie. He currently works for the Philadelphia Eagles, producing X's and O's content for the team's website, and he also is the host of two podcasts, Eagle Eye in the Sky and Journey to the Draft. His work is a treat for all football fans, regardless of what team you root for, and I highly recommend you check it out. But in the meantime, it is a tremendous honor and pleasure to welcome Fran to the program. How you doing, Fran? Uh, I'm doing great, David. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for the kind words. My pleasure. We really appreciate you having you on as well. It was a pleasure meeting you down in Mobile at the Cedar Bowl, and we'll talk a little bit about the Cedar Bowl in a bit. But let's start out with the wide receiver class. And this position group is drawing the most of attention of the drafted community, uh, aside from the quarterback class. But uh, this wide receiver class has the potential to be something special. And let's start out with the Oklahoma's CeeDee Lamb. And Lamb is usually mentioned in the same breath as Jerry Judy as a serious candidate to be the first of these wide receivers taken off the board. However, the expectation is that Lamb will run in the 4.5s and the 40-yard dash next week. And while I constantly and passionately stress that the 40 type isn't the end-all be-all for receivers, the NFL does have a history of letting uber-talented receivers who post such a result slide much farther than they should. And a notable recent example of that is Michael Thomas, who is now arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. Based on the tape alone, do you think CeeDee Lamb is worthy of a top-10 selection? Well, I think whenever you're talking about wide receivers, Dave, I think it really comes down to just understanding who the player is, how he's able to win, and what he could do for your team from you know coming off of that. So, you know, if you are a speed receiver, then I need you to be able to run fast. If you are a player that separates with short area quickness, then I need you to be able to show short area quickness and your long speed may not be that important to me. If you're a guy that, hey, you go up and you win those 50-50 balls, I may just say, you know, I just need that length to show up. I need the I need the height to be able to stand out. However, it is that you win at the college level. I need you to be able to prove to me that you have the tools to be able to do that at the NFL level. So, you know, CD Lamb is going to be very interesting because when you look at CD Lamb, I would say that really the two two of the three best traits for CD Lamb. Number one, his toughness in all areas. Very tough, competitive player. Okay, so that's not something that we can test gauge. Second, his hands, and we'll see that on display in position drills. He's got autom- he's automatic at the catch point, really, really good at catching the football. Then lastly, his yards after catch. He's an outstanding yards after catch player, uh, was outstanding with the ball in his hand for Oklahoma, especially this past year. large chunk of his yardage came with the ball in his hands after the catch. So if he does not run well, that will be the thing that will be, a big, I think, a question for people is, okay, well, if you're not a blazer, Will you be able to be as effective after the catch in the NFL? Why I think where the 40-yard dash may not come into play as much for wide receivers, those are guys that don't necessarily win with long speed. And so you look at, you know, I can think of there's a bunch of guys you can roll off when you say, oh, well, you know, Jarvis, oh, he ran in the 4-7, but he turned into a good NFL receiver. Jarvis Landry doesn't win 
with uh, long speed down the field. However, he is great after the catch. I think that will be that will be the player that everyone will point to afterwards with CD Lamb and say, "Hey, you know what? I know he didn't run well, but you watch him on film, and he's great after the catch, and he's really tough, and he can uh, do a lot of things at the catch point." I think that that will kind of change the the outlook in terms of how people are you know would be ripping a four five or even a even you know forbid a, a low four six from CD Lamb with a forty yard dash. I would say don't overrate too much if it's uh, if it's not an ideal time for CD Lamb with the forty. Oh, I totally agree. And you illustrated the point right off the head. Wide receiver, it's like a game of taste because it's like kind of like you're assembling a basketball team and you want a wide variety of skill sets. And if Lamb is the guy you're looking for uh, and uh, you're picking in the top 10 and need a receiver, uh, you might as well pick him regardless of that 40 time. But the wide receiver that's likely to generate the most buzz uh, in Indy is Henry Ruggs of Alabama. And many believe that Ruggs is going to break the record for the fastest 40 time ever recorded at the combine which was recently set just three years ago by john ross and ross obviously ended up being the ninth overall pick in the 2017 draft do you think henry ruggs is a better prospect if so what makes him so and do you oh. think his f- film alone should put him in the conversation along with lamb and his alabama teammate jerry judy to be the first wide receiver off the board yeah it's, it's always tough for me when we talk about when you try and compare who's a better prospect year after year uh just because every draft is different right so i could say that Henry Ruggs is a better prospect than John Ross, uh, but he may go 10 picks after or 12 picks after or 15 picks after just because that draft was different. You know, I think when you go back uh, and you look at this draft compared to that one, I mean, we're going to see, you know, potentially three or four quarterbacks go before Henry Ruggs goes where that was not the case with, with John Ross, who had two receivers go ahead of him in the top 10. I mean, it was, it was just a, a different year that year. So I think ultimately it's tough to compare. Obviously, hindsight, we can look back at John Ross and say, man, well, you know, the, the injuries uh, certainly were an issue, but uh, he was a dynamic, dynamic playmaker at the University of Washington and had the ability to win at all three levels and was a crafty route runner, was great at beating press coverage. So there's a lot to love. Uh, with what we saw from John Ross. And I think when you look at Henry Ruggs, there's a lot to like there as well. They're built a little bit differently. Uh, John Ross was you know, a little bit shorter, a little bit more diminutive frame. But I think when you look at Henry Ruggs, he's a, he's a long strider. I think the difference that so you could say, okay, where, how are they a little bit different in their game? You know, Ruggs was a yard, kind of going back to Lamb, you know, a lot of Ruggs' big plays came where, you know, they were well-orchestrated shot plays down the field where he was basically wide open on a lot of plays. And then also... Yards after catch, you know, quick slants, shallow crosses, wide receiver bubble screens. Get him the ball quickly. Let him get in the open field and go. John Ross was a little bit different. You saw uh, him be able to win the quick game for sure, but you saw him having to go and track deep balls over his shoulder and try and make some of those tough catches downfield. So they were used a little bit differently. Uh, it's an interesting question, though, I think, trying to compare, uh, compare and contrast any of these speed guys, whether it's guys from this year, last year, or years, years back, uh, you know, back in the history. Oh, absolutely. And speed of speed, guys, another such receiver with a chance to skyrocket up draft boards with a good showing in Indy is TCU's Jalen Rager. And many uh, respected analysts on draft Twitter are enamored with a skill set, but several other respected analysts are not as high on him. What were your major takeaways from watching Rager's tape? And do you think he could be a top 25 or top 15 pick if he does well for the remainder of the draft process? Oh, I I think so. Absolutely. I think when you look at Jalen Rager, um, look, if you were to switch 
last year with this year. Uh, really, main, the, the main difference being the quarterback play. They had a true freshman quarterback. They had guys rotating in and out this year for the Horned Frogs. So uh, things were not o- overly consistent with him in terms of who was getting him the football. But I think when you look at Jalen Rieger, uh, this is a guy with dynamic speed. Uh, a lot of the things, honestly, he kind of reminded me of John Ross from Washington and that you know he could get off the line of scrimmage. He's got the ability to be a gadget player and used in lots of different creative ways, uh, but he'll go up and fight for the football. He could track it over his shoulder. He's got the ability to do a lot of different things for an, for an offense. So I think when you look at Jalen Rieger, if he goes to the combine and runs in the four threes, he'll be back into the limelight in terms of a lot of fans looking at him as a guy that, oh, you know what, our, our team needs speed. We need this guy. So you'll start seeing him in more and more mock traps, but uh, let's not let's not kid ourselves. NFL teams are fully aware of what Jalen Rieger can bring to the table, and um, you know whether that means he goes 22nd overall, 27th, or 38th, he's going to go relatively high in this draft. He's he's going to be a relatively high pick as long as uh, you know nothing else changes between now and then. Oh, I completely agree. And uh, also, for the record, uh, do not sleep on him going 15 to the Denver Broncos if they can't trade down and he's the best receiver left uh, on the board. That is a strong possibility that uh, the Denver media has been uh, reporting uh, for the past uh, several weeks. And uh, let's go on to the offensive tackle class here. And this is one of the better uh, classes of offensive tackles we have seen in quite some time. And there could very well be five offensive tackles selected in the first round, if not more. But there are some interesting questions surrounding two of those top five prospects, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa and Andrew Thomas of Georgia. And it's been reported that several around the league believe that both of them are better fits inside at guard, Wirfs due to his length and Thomas due to his play style. Do you share those views? No, I think both guys uh, look like tackles to me. And I think when you look at um, offensive tackles around the league, uh, you know, two of the big things that you look for are guys that, number one, have play strength, right? They, you know, are they going to get bull rushed back into the quarterback? You look at some of the guys that have been forced into early playing time over the last few years. Uh, for Broncos a couple minutes ago, the issues that he has consistently had has been his ability to anchor and, and hold up against the bull rush. You don't question that with Tristan Wirfs. You don't question that with Andrew Thomas. Both guys also have very light feet, especially for guys that big. And I think when you look at a, a player's uh, ability to hold up on an island, and say, okay, I can, I can hold up against these athletic edge rushers, these guys that uh, are freak athletes on the other side of the line, on the defensive side, uh, and then also have the strength to be able to hold up. Those guys can play uh, offensive tackle. And I think when you look around the league and kind of just take stock of who are the starting tackles in the NFL, I think a lot of people might change their opinions on what's necessarily required to be able to play because there are 64 offensive tackles in the league. I promise that when all 64 of those guys came out in the NFL draft, not all 64 were looked as big dancing bears with great feet and 35-inch long arms. Some of these guys, uh, it's not always pretty, but they get the job done and they do it at a very high level. So when I look at Tristan Wirfs, uh, I see a big physical mauler. Sure, he'll do things in the run game, but he's a light-footed athlete as well. And don't be surprised if he shocks some people with how he tests next week. And I think you look at Andrew Thomas in a very similar vein. In fact, I would look at a bunch of these offensive tackles because it seems that a lot of people are questioning, you know, is Jedrick Wills, can he play offensive tackle or does he have to slide into guard? Uh, you know, is Makai Beckett, is he athletic enough? All these guys at the top of this offensive tackle class uh, are getting questioned. But uh, ultimately, you look at all of them, I think they've all got the ability to be able to hang at left tackle or right tackle in the NFL. 
Yes, and another uh, offensive tackle that uh, is being talked about as a uh, potential first-round pick is a guy we saw down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Josh Jones uh, out of Houston. I had the opportunity sure. to interview Josh, and uh, he definitely had a great week down there. But uh, he's drawn a lot of comparisons to uh, Andre Dillard, who the who you know well. The Philadelphia Eagles took him with the 22nd overall pick at last year's draft, meaning that they're pretty polished for pass protectors, but they lack uh, experience or um, uh strength to play uh, in the run game uh, right now. Uh, uh, where do you think uh, Josh Jones ends up going? Should he go in the first round? Well, I think that'll be interesting. And I think, look, there's always going to be a premium on offensive tackles. I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's one of the most prized positions uh, in the NFL. It's very tough to be. I mentioned that there are 64 starting tackles in the league, and not all 64, uh, you would have said, look the part coming out. And that's for a good reason. It's tough to find those guys that can block these defensive ends, these outside linebackers coming off the edge on a down-by-down basis in the NFL every week. So, you know, I think when you look at all these guys that I mentioned, all those underclassmen, and then you factor in those seniors like a Josh Jones, uh, yeah, those guys, are, they're, they're going to go earlier than people think. And last year we saw a bunch of them that were down at the Senior Bowl go in the first round when people necessarily weren't really talking about you know, even Chris Lindstrom, who played guard, he went in the top 15. Caleb McGarry from Washington, he, <laughs> he went uh, in the top 32. And I think when you look at um, you know, the offensive line spot, Titus Howard from Alabama State went in the top 25. Uh, I think when you look uh, you know, ultimately at guys like Josh Jones, they're going to go a little bit higher than people think. He, he's, he's got a lot of ability. He's got light speed. He's experienced. Uh, I really like the way that he plays and what he put on film throughout the course of his career at Houston. Yes, and going up against Dud Oliver in practice only helped him, as he himself made clear uh, in our interview. So I would definitely expect to see Josh Jones go earlier than many anticipating. And another position group that has incredible depth in this 2020 draft class is corner. And obviously the headliner of the cornerback class is uh, Jeffrey Okuda, who is a borderline lock to go in the top five. But after him, it's a bit of a mystery. Which corners do you think have the most convincing case to be the second corner taken off the board based on your film study so far? That's a good question. And I think ultimately it kind of goes back to what we talked about with receiver. And that really it comes down to what you're looking for in your defense, right? I mean, if you're a team that prizes physicality and, uh, you know, the ability to play up at the line of scrimmage, you're going to love Trevon Diggs from Alabama. If you want athletic, physical marvels who can shadow anybody in man-to-man coverage and have uh, long speed to be able to run deep, C.J. Henderson's going to be your guy. If you want small and scrappy and off coverage and the ability to challenge receivers no matter how big you are, Jeff Gladney from TCU might be your guy. I mean, there's a bunch of a bunch of corners rather uh, in this class that have really, really intriguing skill sets. So, uh, look, the combine is going to help separate a little bit of that. And there are a bunch of guys, I think, that, that are going to be in the discussion for whether it's the second or third corner off the board. Um, you know, those guys included who I just mentioned. But ultimately – uh, I think it's good. It's just ultimately going to come down to the team. Uh, you know, the, the combine might eliminate some players. You know, uh, if Trevon Diggs comes out and doesn't run as well as people think, um, you know, maybe he'll fall down, board, quote unquote. I don't know if that uh, is necessarily a real thing, but I think when you look at, uh, you know, the, ultimately the combine at the quarterback spot can make or break people. You know, because that's such a, athleticism is such a prized trait uh, in the defensive secondary. Uh, the combine will help or help or hurt some of these guys, but ultimately. I think if you're looking at C.J. Henderson, you're looking at Trevon Diggs, you're looking at Jeff Gladney, uh, there are a few handful of corners uh, that really could have that moniker when it's all said and done. 
Uh, yes, and another uh, corner that you did not mention in that group is Christian Fulton out of LSU. Yeah. And a lot of people uh, in the draft community are very high on him, but I believe it was reported by Matt Miller Bleach Report in his Friday column last week that he may be dropping down boards. Why do you think he may be dropping down boards? Um, I don't I don't know. That I, look, I, I, like I said, I don't know if the dropping down, rising down, rising up boards thing is a real thing. I think ultimately, look, um, for us on the outside, from a media standpoint, okay, the board, quote-unquote, is really set by the media, right? We, we go in with our expectations. Obviously, uh, a lot of us talk with people around the league, and so we get a little bit of a sense of how people are valued and how people are graded. But, um, you know, I think right now there's, there's always preconceived expectations, and, you know, there's mock drafts going back to uh, April 29th last year that, that, you know, that say this guy's a top-10 pick, this guy's a top-20 pick, this guy's a top-25 pick, when in reality – I guarantee you go back uh, to you know mock drafts from two years ago and you look at last year's draft, there were guys that were in first-round mock drafts that maybe went in the sixth round or went undrafted. <laughs> We've seen that in years past. So you know those, those early expectations are always tough for me. And obviously, look, boards are being set right now. That is literally what has happened over the last couple of weeks is that initial draft boards for all 32 teams have been set. All the scouts have come in off the road. They've met with their team, they, you know, with, the, with their GM and with all the high-level personnel. Coaches are a little bit involved right now, not fully because they're getting ready for free agency as well. But I think when you look at uh, the board and who's rising and who's falling, a lot of that is media-driven, and sometimes it's the media catching up. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, the, I don't know if the Fulton thing is real or not, but uh, if it were, that could be, hey, you know, people are starting to hear that maybe the media was a little bit higher on Christian Fulton than scouts were, or it could just be one person's opinion. Uh, and one scout said, oh, you know, I don't know why people think Christian Fulton is a, a top 15 pick. I never saw him that way. Uh, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult this time of year. I, I would say that the, the stock rising, stock falling stuff, uh, especially without anything ha- happening right now, it's, it's tough to kind of put a finger on all that. I agree, Fran, and thank you for uh, uh, reiterating that lesson to our listeners here. Uh, like whether it's Fran's board or my board or my friend Nick Kendall's board or wh- whichever guest board uh, I bring on the show, um, their boards and boards inside the NFL often have drastic differences. So just because you see a certain board, don't assume that your team has that board ranked the same Away and uh, let's go to the defensive tackle position for a moment. And we were treated to watching South Carolina's Javon Kinlaw at the Senior Bowl. And I heard from a credible scouting source down there that several scouts around the NFL had near identical grades on him at Auburn defensive tackle Derek Brown, who is regarded as a surefire blue chip prospect. And if Javon Kinlaw tests as well as expected at Indy, do you think he deserves to be drafted even before Derek Brown? Well, that'll be interesting. I think that when you look at both Kinlaw and Brown, uh, really where they both stand out, they are just so stout against the run and so dominant at the point of attack, especially if you go back to Kinlaw, uh, not just this past season in 2019, but you go back to 2018, you go back to 2017, he was a little bit heavier, um, and he he is just so stout. He's so powerful. He's so strong. Uh, His length at the point of attack is really such an asset for him, whereas Derek Brown, uh, you know, he's just – violent and he's just like a bull in a china shop he's trying to wreck everything right at the snap so i think when you look at both guys their strength is probably more defending the run um my my guess is that brown will end up going first uh, of that group um but don't rule it out either in terms of kinlaw making the jump i I think it'll be very interesting i also don't think that either guy is going to test off the charts you know you go back to like 
Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue and some of these other defensive tackles uh, that have come through that were really high picks, those guys blew up the combine. I don't necessarily think that either Brown or Kinlaw were completely lighted up. I think uh, Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma uh, might end up being the star of the show when it's all said and done from an athletic testing standpoint uh, at the defensive tackle spot. But, um, no, it's going to be very, very interesting just to see how these defensive tackles rack up because uh, there are a few names in there that you know a lot of people viewed as potential first-round picks. I mean, they, you, know, you talk about stock rising and falling. Uh, you know, seven months ago, Raquan Davis was a, a top ten pick out of Alabama. Now he's you know seen as mostly a second rounder. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of guys that have a lot of talent at the defensive tackle spot in this class that are just kind of flying under the radar right now. A little bit interesting to watch here moving forward through the rest of the process. Oh, absolutely. And uh, when you look at the defensive tackle class, it's uh, Kinlaw or, or Brown or whatever you have first. Uh, I I'll, I have Brown first because I believe he has a higher floor personally uh, in the top two. But after that, like I, I, agree. Said, I would, I would agree. Kind, I would agree with you, I think. Yeah, it's kind of jumbled after that, though. And you mentioned Neville Gallimore. Yeah. Who are some other defensive tackle prospects we should keep an eye on going forward who can um, potentially uh, skyrocket up uh, board, so to speak? <laughs> sure, sure. I think when you look at uh, obviously Gallimore, as I mentioned, and he's just to talk about him real quick. Uh, this is a guy that you know played as a nose tackle for them uh, going back to when he first got on campus. But change in defensive scheme this year, he was asked to be more of a one-gap player, meaning that he was able to just say, all right, I'm here in this gap. I'm going to shoot forward and explode in the opposing backfield and just disrupt and be, uh, you know, be explosive and be a playmaker. And you saw that one-gap quickness from him this year that we didn't necessarily see in years past. And this is a guy that had a lot of untapped athleticism that we didn't get to see on film until this year. And now you see that and you say, man, this guy could be a really disruptive force in the NFL. Ross Blacklock from TCU is a player that a lot of people are very high on. Still very young, a redshirt sophomore, missed all of last season, 2018. So, you know, he had his, his freshman year, then he got injured, and then he played this year for TCU, a bad TCU team. So a lot of people weren't really talking about this kid. Ross Blacklock is a big boy with light feet, with disruptive ability and some change of direction skills that will really, really impress you. So I think when you look at Neville Gallimore, you look at Ross Blacklock, uh, two guys on the inside. Uh, I mentioned Raekwon Davis as well. I'll talk about Raekwon. Uh, Raekwon Davis is built like DeForest Buckner, who went in the top ten a few years ago to the San Francisco 49ers and is one of the linchpins of that team that went to the Super Bowl this year. And I think when you look at Raekwon Davis, the big difference between him and DeForest Buckner Buckner's just showed a little bit more wherewithal in terms of being able to get to the quarterback. But in terms of playing at the point of attack and having that length and, and being so strong, also being able to collapse the pocket with power, Raekwon's got all that. So it really is about putting it all together as a pass rusher. He hasn't been able to do that. Even the year when he had eight and a half sacks, his true sophomore year, he had eight and a half sacks. And a lot of people said, oh, future top five pick, this guy's going to be an absolute stud. You go back and you watch how he got those eight and a half sacks. I don't, you look, they, I, don't, I don't want to say they were all gimmies, but you know, some of those he was able to kind of fall in, and uh, you know he was lucky to be able to kind of get that production. But this is a very, very talented player with a high upside that if a coaching staff is able to get the most out of him, they could get a real, real steal. So uh, there, there are a bunch of defensive tackles in this class that a lot of people are really high on. Those would be three uh, that I would certainly be keeping an eye on moving forward. And let's go to the safety class for just a minute. And we saw another potential star NFL player down at the Senior Bowl, and that is Kyle Duggar from the North Rhine. And last week, uh, Matt Miller of Bleach Report, who I just mentioned, he reported that some scouts think that Duggar is a better prospect than Grant Delpit of LSU. And Delpit, uh, talk about uh, uh, 
initial media hype. He was being hyped as a potential top five, seven pick uh, early in the year. And uh, now people might think he might slide out of the first round altogether. What are your thoughts on Kyle Duggar and how high do you think Duggar can be drafted? Well, it will will be very interesting with Kyle Duggar is this, is that his film is is very, very intriguing. Obviously, look, coming from a very small level of competition, uh, there is going to be a little bit of a learning curve there, uh, okay? This is is a guy that uh, we can absolutely expect to come in and play the safety spot, which is a a tough mental position, and be a high level right away. So there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve there, but this kid looks the part. He's a big boy. Some people think he could play linebacker, uh, but I think when you look ultimately, this guy's a safety a uh, hard-hitting safety with outstanding size and physical tools. He goes to the senior ball, looks the part in person, doesn't look out of place amongst the, his peers in terms of the top seniors in the country. Now we fast forward to next week to Indianapolis to the Combine. And I think when you look at Kyle Duggar, some of the reported times on him in terms of how he could test are really impressive. So if, he, if, you, if you're talking about checking boxes along the way, film, impressive, body, impressive, Senior Bowl, impressive. He goes to the Combine, impressive. If he does well in interviews, check another box. No major injuries, check another box. You're feeling pretty good about Kyle Duggar's projection to the NFL. But, again, it's about going back to, okay, are you, is, a, is a safety from Lenore Ryan going to go in the, you know, in the top 20, top 25 picks? That's, that'll be an interesting discussion. I think a lot of people around the NFL will be having over the next few months. But, uh, look, don't, don't rule it out. We've seen, we saw a quarterback from North, North Dakota State go second overall a few years ago, and he turned into a damn good player. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about Carson Wentz here in Philadelphia. So I think when you look at these small school guys, keep in mind that it is typically a little bit of a jump for them coming into the, to the NFL right away early on. But now it's like, okay, well, what, what does this guy do? Are there, are there any major flaws? And I think ultimately – there aren't a ton of flaws when you look at Kyle Duggar. He is Fran Duffy, Exit and content manager at Podcast Oaks for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. You can follow him on Twitter at FDuffy3Fran. Thank you so much for donating your incredible football mind to our program. But before we let you go here, we've got just one more question for you. Uh, name some other prospects that might be flying under the radar at the moment that we didn't talk about you believe have the potential to dramatically make a statement at the combine next week. Ooh, that's a good question. So, oh, off the top of my head, so I would say, look, there, there are a few guys, in terms of guys that can make a statement in Indianapolis, okay, and guys that, that could surprise, I would certainly put Neville Gallimore in that list. You know, I think right now uh, Gallimore is being seen mostly as a second-round defensive tackle, and I think after the combine, I think a lot of people are going to be putting him in first-round mock drafts. So I think if you're talking about who can help themselves, who can make a statement, I think that certainly uh, is one guy to keep an eye on. I think when you go uh, to the linebacker spot, Malik Harrison is a player, a linebacker out of Ohio State, uh, a big boy, right around 250 pounds, who is more fluid, more athletic than I think he's being given credit for. He's not quite, you know, what Ryan Chazier and uh, you know some of these other uh, freak show offensive Darren Lee, some of these other explosive guys have looked like coming out of OSU in the, in the last couple of years. But when you look at this kid, uh, he can play sideline to sideline. He's fluid. He can play in reverse. Uh, he's a very intriguing player that I think is going to test better than people think at 250 pounds uh, could surprise a lot of people. So uh, Malik Harrison is one name. Francis Bernard, another senior ball player, uh, the linebacker from Utah, is another guy that you know wasn't really viewed by anybody as a, as a prospect a year ago at this time, uh, was a backup after transferring uh, to Utah from BYU, 
Now he steps into the starting lineup this past year and was outstanding. Uh, you know, stepped in for Cody Barton uh, and a couple of the other departed linebackers there for Utah. Had a great year. Goes to the senior bowl, has a strong week. If he tests well, he could do what kind of what Sione Takitaki did, the linebacker from BYU last year, where you know he goes to the combine, has a good week. He had a good sh- uh, Shrine Bowl the we- uh, a few uh, the month before that. Ended up being a third-round pick in Cleveland. So I think when you look at Francis Bernard, that would be another name for sure uh, to keep an eye on moving forward. Fred Duffy, thank you so much once again. And as I alluded to earlier in the program, you are the host of uh, two podcasts, and you manage Exodus content for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And I highly recommend to our uh, viewers and listeners uh, that your uh, content is a must see for all kinds of football fans and before we let you go i want you to have an opportunity to explain uh why uh, people should check out the work that you and those other great people who help you at philadelphiaeagles.com do no i appreciate it david so uh basically yeah like you said two podcasts i host the, host the eagle eye in the sky podcast uh every single week and really that's heavy x's and o's talk you know we talk especially this time of year we'll talk into team building and player evaluation and things like that but uh very heavy on x's and o's um during the season it's a little bit of a different uh rundown and a show outline because it's very eagles focused in season i think a lot of i I speak with a lot of fans from around the nfl though that listen regardless because they pull a lot i I, nfl film senior producer greg cosell on every single week during the fall and he and i just kind of chop it up we'll talk x's and o's we talk scheme uh we talk about the eagles we talk about their opponent um so you know you could learn about a couple teams every single week even if you're not an eagles fan uh, just kind of learning steam uh, throughout the course of the season is always fun. And like I said, during the off season, uh, the most recent episode we just posted, which uh, was just uh, actually with two trainers, two guys that train athletes for the combine and just what goes into that process. So uh, two guys, one guy from Exos, uh, uh, Brent Callaway, and then another guy uh, from Michael Johnson Performance Institute. His name is Brian McCall. I caught up with Brent and with Brian. We just kind of talked through what goes into training these athletes for the biggest job interview of their lives, getting ready for Indianapolis? How do you get those guys ready? What goes into it from a football standpoint? So that's the kind of discussion we like to have on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. And then uh, Journey of the Draft is a year-round podcast that I host every single week. Uh, myself, Ben Fennell, a couple other uh, contributors as well. Look, we're talking about uh, college football analysis and the NFL draft on a year-round basis. Uh, we go through as many players as we can every episode. There's not a lot of uh, – of frills there's not a lot of filling gaps we are we are breaking down film we're talking about what we've seen ben is on the road at college games every single week during the fall so uh he shares some very unique insight uh both of us you know watch a ton of film so it's always been fun just kind of chopping it up with ben every single week on the journey to the draft podcast ben does a great job on that show uh if you don't follow ben already so i think when you look at uh, both podcasts we talk it's heavy film heavy analysis heavy x's and o's so if you're into that kind of content, uh, certainly you can go and, and subscribe to both of them wherever podcasts can be found. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at FDuffy3. Fred, thank you so much once again. Have a great time in Indy at the Combine next week. Looking forward to your coverage there. All right, I appreciate it, David. Thanks so much. Thank you, Fran. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. We'll be back very soon with more coverage of the 2020 NFL Draft, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Fran. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at D. Decrom 59. 
For Fran Duffy, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.